and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an Iron Chef with us to talk about her creative process and what all of her establishments have in common. She is a celebrated Chicago restaurateur, James Beard Award winner, and a competitor on this season of Tournament of Champions. It's Stephanie Izard. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Is it cheesy to call you the goat of the Chicago food scene? (laughs) I think that's become my new nickname around at least our restaurants and other places. So yeah, do it. All right. The greatest of all time joining us here on Food Network Obsessed. Of course, you own Girl and the Goat in both Chicago and L.A., Duck, Duck, Goat and Cabra. What is the story behind your goat affection, I guess? (laughs) (laughs) My last name, actually. So we say Izard in my family, but it's Izard in Mm. French. So it's a mountain goat from the Pyrenees Mountains. So if you look up Izard mountain goat, you'll see a picture of this. It's more like a goat antelope that lives in the Pyrenees Mountains. Oh, wow. I found that out a few years before opening Girl and the Goat, and I was like, oh, that seems like a good thing to center everything around. And then my friend drew the goat that has now become our beacon and is on everything that we do, and it just became like our little theme. I love it. And I've had the pleasure of dining at a couple of your restaurants, and there is often goat on the menu as well, correct? Yeah, definitely. At Girl and the Goat, after we were getting ready to open, I was like, maybe we should have goat on the menu. (laughs) I had never cooked it before and definitely didn't know how to source it. We found a couple of farmers and did some taste tests. And now after years of working with it, I feel like we've really figured out we use all the different parts and you can get whole goat legs, whole goat shoulders. We do the belly, the shanks, just everything. But it took a little getting used to. It's not as fatty as their friend, the pig. (laughs) Well, Girl and the Goat was your first restaurant, which opened in 2010 in Chicago's Restaurant Row. If there was a vision board for Girl and the Goat back in your planning phases, what would have been on it? So I was actually, and I had my first restaurant before that. It was called Silla when I was like 27, but that was mm. 20 years ago. So we don't need to go that far back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can. But so for the goat restaurants, Girl and the Goat was first. The, I had met my business partners, Kevin Bame and Rob Katz, and we were driving around in their car, just looking at neighborhoods and talking about the restaurant. And we had already decided we were going to do something together. But Kevin's like, wait, we never asked you, like, what restaurant, what kind of restaurant do you want to open? <laughs> and I said, I said, I want to open the Drunken Goat. And that was the original plan. But the Drunken Goat, meaning sort of... It's upscale casual, but you can still come in every day and it's meant to be. I always kind of envisioned um, one of those big, long tables in Europe, like in Spain and or France or Italy, mm-hmm. which I've not really spent that much time in. But I envisioned these really happy people sitting around a big table with all this <laughs> wine and food and they're just loving life. And so we have two big tables like that at both of the Girl and Goat restaurants where we do see that happen with folks that come in with large parties. But that's what I want everyone's experience to be like. Lots of food on the table, just having a grand old time and elevated food and we take it as seriously as high-end restaurants, but meant to be in a more casual atmosphere and you could just come in on Tuesday because you're hungry. Yeah. Why is that important to you to, to kind of have that, that communal atmosphere for your guests? I just think it's fun. I've, I've always been a fan of shared plates. And of course, now I think that's almost everywhere. It's almost mm-hmm. harder to find not shared plates, maybe, or maybe just because I order sh- and share it wherever I go. <laughs> maybe it's just for me in my life. But I think it's just so much more fun to get to share plates and try so many different flavors. And that's just the way I think about food. So I want when someone comes into my restaurant and like, oh, I came to your restaurant last night. The first thing I asked them was, did you have fun? Like, mm. that's the most important thing I want them to take away. I would hope that they had like like the food, but they don't ask them a million details. And um, hopefully they had good service. But if all of those things came into place and they had fun, it's sort of that's what we're looking for. 
Absolutely. I think if you have all those things, you're hopefully having a good time as well. Yeah. What do your initial phases of kind of conceptualizing a restaurant typically look like? Things just kind of pop into my head randomly. It's kind of how I go through life, I guess. I We were at Girl and the Goat one day, and I was down in the basement, and all the bread makers were coming in there at, like, 4 a.m., and there's, like, flour everywhere, and our butchers are everywhere, and it was just very crowded. I was at my tiny table making specials for the day, and I was like, oh, we should just open another restaurant with, like, a little bakery so we get the bread makers out of here, and it could be called Little Goat, and it'll be so cute. And we ended up opening Little Goat. That was what I, it was more the supersized goat, ginormous, which we're getting ready to open the second rendition of it very shortly. But it just kind of popped in my head that day. Same with Duck Duck Goat. We were doing a dinner upstairs at Little Goat in our private event space. And I had made a bunch of Chinese-inspired food. And it was just so fun. And the next day, I asked my partners to meet up. I was like, I kind of want to open a Chinese-inspired restaurant. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So it's just things pop into my head. And then we start to dive in and either go traveling to explore, to get inspiration, or just you know spend like a year working on the menu and such. Where have you traveled that has maybe turned into a dish at one of the restaurants or into a restaurant you know, concept itself. I mean, for Duck Duck Goat, we went to mainland China and Taiwan for a total of about a month, which, you know, is that's just scratching the surface. It's a very large place to visit, but got a really good glimpse into the culture, got to do a lot of traveling around and just eating and eating and eating. So when we were in China, we would eat like six meals a day, filling that Lazy Susan with like 12 dishes and just it's like you eat and then plan where are we going to eat next to just get as much inspiration as possible. And then I came back and spent Um, a year while I was pregnant with my now six-year-old son, teaching myself how to make all of our, we make like 12 different doughs a day. So I taught myself how to make slap noodles and lo mein noodles and all the different dumpling wrappers and things like that. So it's a lot of exploring first and then and then working on what what I saw. And then our Peruvian restaurants, we have Cabra in both Chicago and Los Angeles at the Mm. Austin hotels. So we went to Peru for two weeks to Lima, Arequipa. We, of course, went up to Machu Picchu, which don't bring your mm. three-year-old. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> that was the worst. But the food. I can only and, imagine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everybody in every language is saying, why is there a three-year-old what up are you here? Doing? I was like, I know. I know. I can, I can barely walk up those steps like as a just myself. So I can't imagine hauling a child as well. Yeah. I was grasping him for like dear life. But uh, <laughs> Lima was one of my most, it's one of my most favorite cities. Like as soon as we got there, just the the feeling that everyone gives you there's just so much joy everybody's so bright in there and welcoming and like the food's so bright it's like all that lime juice and refreshingness that you get from a ceviche is like what you feel by the people that are just welcoming you into restaurants and just into everywhere i just love it yeah i completely agree it was a, a very friendly place and 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 as you mentioned the ceviche there is like unmatched anywhere i'm curious you, you say you kind of just go with whatever pops into your head are you like a pen and paper person or do you have like a million notes in your phone where you're kind of just jotting things down i'm still trying to figure it out so i try <laughs> to do the phone thing usually i'll jot it down at like if i'm on expo or if i'm just anywhere i'll jot down notes on a scrap piece of paper and then i take a picture of it and Good then call. i'll just scroll through my phone but then i end up with something i'm like what does that say because i have terrible <laughs> handwriting so there's never been a great answer i my brain is all over the place all the time i think it's just my way of being and so when i try to get organized it doesn't work so i just i just roll with it just roll with it do you prefer to work alone in those instances or do you kind of rely heavily on collaborators as well it's i'm very happy to say that it's now gotten to the point where i collaborate with my chefs it took now that i have about seven restaurants if we are six restaurants and then we had a bakery it's just became a lot i was doing most of the menu work myself some with my chef jan as we were opening new restaurants but when new dishes were arising, just kind of doing those myself. 
But now I have all my chefs have been working with me for so long that they get the flavors that I enjoy or they kind of get my way of cooking and it's now become their way of approaching food as well. So we can work on dishes together so much more. When I'm traveling between Chicago and LA, I'll go back to Chicago and my team at Cabra, Chef Drew is like, hey, we made this dish, you wanna try it? So we'll taste it and then I'll give some feedback and we'll work through any way to adjust it a little bit or like, hey, I think that needs this crunch. I always say it needs crunch. But usually <laughs> now they put on crunch because they know I'm gonna say that. So we just kind of work through it together and it's such a weight off my shoulders and it's also just, Awesome to see just the talent of all my chefs and sous chefs, and it's fun to let them play around too. So it's interesting. I think it's, I got to that point. I was like, oh, now I'm like the old lady, and now I do this. <laughs> now my chefs help. It's great. No, I think it says a lot, you know, that you have so many chefs that have stuck with you for so long and it, it seems like it's kind of become a family and if you if anybody's listening and hearing that background noise stephanie's actually sitting in one of her restaurants as she does this interview just showing how much you are probably in those restaurants all the time what is your strength when it comes to opening a new restaurant oh i mean i think it all lies in with the people that you surround yourself with i think we've been so fortunate over time to build that family and now it's sort of i feel like you kind of start to open new restaurants just because your team wants a new challenge <laughs> so you're like okay well that he's already been the cdc for some time what's the next level i guess we'll just open another restaurant which said you know that's not something i can continue for forever <laughs> but continuing to find great people and just promoting from within makes it possible for me to own or open restaurants in multiple cities and feel good about not being able to be there all of the time. I'm definitely in mm -hmm. a restaurant all the time when I'm not doing events and such. Work more than probably, I don't know, work a lot, like like so many <laughs> people in the industry, like everybody in the industry does. But I trust, you know, I'm sitting here in LA right now at Girl and the Goat. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. So just getting ready for that. But I know that my teams in Chicago are good getting ready for their big Valentine's Day nights too. So I don't worry about things anymore, which is awesome. Even though all of your restaurants are unique to, you know, whatever concept or, or cuisine that you're focusing on with them, what are some elements that you ensure are present at all of your establishments? Yeah, I think you can definitely tell that they're all like brothers and sisters, the restaurants. I think part of it is what I mentioned before about just you feel a fun vibe when you walk mm -hmm. in. You should feel very welcome as soon as you walk in. The service is paying attention to detail and making sure that everybody, when your drink is almost done, are you ready for a drink? All of those sort of things. But at the same time, not making it feel stuffy and making it feel very much like the, the person that's helping you, they're guiding you through an experience and that they're, you know, they're your friend for the night. They're just making it fun. And then with the food, everybody, you know, a lot of people ask me about my food style and I find it to be a, such a hard question to answer. And we do have food from all over the world and some of the restaurants are more honed in on certain cu cuisines, but it's always going to be sort of in your face flavor. You're definitely not going to be tasting something that isn't bold and leaving you just kind of like, you know, whoa, that, that definitely had a lot of flavor. So I think that's what ties it together. What are some things that you know now that maybe you wish you knew when you were in your first years of Girl and the Goat? Gosh, the first years of Girl in the Goat, I blocked so much out of memory. Just uh, <laughs> I remember like the, the walk-in cooler going down and it, just the first the first night of service, my chef Jan and I were standing on the line and my original, my restaurant before that, that I opened when I was 27, Scylla, was 60 seats and it was just very small. You know, the most that we ever did cover-wise was probably, I don't know, 150 people. So Girl in the Goat, the first night we open, we do like 350 people and now we'll wow. get up to, you know, 500 or so. But we were like, what's going on? So the tickets just start flooding in and both of us look at each other. We're like, well, this isn't working. We need to figure out a different system here. So I but in reality, I wouldn't want to tell myself anything or I don't I wouldn't want to know anymore because we kind of had to figure it out. I think mm -hmm. each time something came up that was a little different than we were used to or all the problems that we had to solve as much as I would want to 
go back and help my then self and, you know, maybe it would cause a lot less stress. I wouldn't we wouldn't be at the place we are now. And I know that sounds very cliche, but it's true. You kind of have to your restaurant gets better and stronger as you kind of figure out how to solve all these different problems. Yeah. And, and maybe you wouldn't have even wanted to, to, to go into it if you knew all of the different challenges that were, were ahead. That's true. So I was just talking to someone last night. I was like, the restaurant industry, what are we doing, you guys? But it's, you know, it's like it's also a strange addiction to it. You know, I would open a new restaurant like when I opened Little Goat, I was flipping pancakes from 6 a.m. until close like every day for the first few months because we were wow. so short staffed and it was a little bit of a nightmare. And I was like, remind me, no, ever let me ever open up a restaurant again. And then, you know, a couple of <laughs> years later, here I am. I'm like, oh, we're going to open a Chinese inspired restaurant. Duck, duck, go. So it's you just get sort of like as soon as something starts to feel like it's a little bit smooth, you're like, let's do this to ourselves again. Yes. You're just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> exactly. You also created a green bean sauce at Girl on the Goat that really became kind of a cult favorite, was so sought after that you created your own sauce line, This Little Goat. What is the process of, you know, kind of developing and testing a condiment and then scaling it for, you know, commercial use? Yeah, it was definitely a learning curve. I think the CPG world or packaged good world is so different than having restaurants. So it started off as something we just packaged with. We found somebody that was a co-packer that food scientist that takes your recipe and they test it, make sure it can be on the shelf and all of that. And we were just selling it at Girl on the Goat. And then we went to a food show and we thought, this is kind of cool. This could actually be a brand that we could grow. So since then, over the past few years, we've redone the packaging, made it super bright. We've expanded the line. We have five sauces, some spices. We have these everything crunches, which are, I would say, I use crunchy things on everything in the restaurant. So they're like a puffed rice sort of topper that has different spices in it. And then this past summer, we launched our chili crunches, which are very different than other chili crisps out there. There's like fresh masa chips that we crunch up and put inside each jar. But it was just figuring out, we just built a manufacturing facility to to make that particular one because nobody would make the masa chips by hand like we do. So it's been a learning curve, but it's very exciting. I, you know, it's this growing company and I just promoted one of my team members to the CEO so he can just make decisions without me. And I mean, we still talk about it, but it's just somebody to run the company because it's actually turned into a, instead of a little side gig, it's actually like a big gig, which is super fun. That's awesome. How often do your restaurant customers ask you about your TV appearances? <laughs> it kind of depends on, it's so funny. I'll have a night where, you know, only one or two people come up to me. And then there's nights where I'm like, wow, I must look really good tonight. Does my butt look good in these <laughs> pants? Because everybody's coming up to me tonight. I mean, in Chicago, it's, it used to be, it was a culmination of like Top Chef, Iron Chef, you know, Food Network all of those things and just Chicagoans because everybody in Chicago is just so proud of anybody that's from Chicago. And out here in LA, I was like, oh, nobody will come up. It's like LA, people don't talk to famous people or whatever. I call myself fake famous. But I had a a few people come up to me last night and it's great. I think it's, you have the, you know, you go out and do these amazing things, which I just love doing TV because I love doing television. It's not even, I don't think about it bringing guests into the restaurants. Although of course that's, I'm, you know, a big perk of it. I just love doing television. I think it's another side of me that I didn't realize was there until I did Top Chef so many years ago. But it's really fun having people from different walks of life, depending upon which thing they watched. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny people come in. Top Chef was 15 years ago and there's still people like, oh, my God, That's you were crazy. my favorite. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was so long ago. <laughs> crazy. I'm so old. It is crazy. Coming up next, Stephanie discusses earning the Iron Chef title and how her past Food Network competitions compared to being on the new season of Tournament of Champions. (laughs) 
Well, speaking of television and Iron Chef, you earned that Iron Chef title back in 2017 during the premiere season of Iron Chef Gauntlet. After winning that first challenge, I remember you you kind of became the one to beat. So what is the key to success in a competition like Iron Chef? Oh, I mean, Iron Chef Gauntlet, I remember just being so nervous because I it was going back and doing a competition again after having won Top Chef, and I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be like... They're like, oh, I guess she's not a top chef anymore. You know, I was like, I have to do well. So it was every time they have us in this like fake elevator thing that we were walking out of to start each episode, we'd just be back there. And I'm like, you know, like we're sweating. We're all talking. We're like, what are we doing to ourselves, you guys? But I always go into those things and just try to just make something fun. Just try to have fun. I remember I was talking about Chef Shoda, who is on Tournament of Champions Mm -hmm. with me as well. He and I were just talking about it because... We just we've been friends ever since. And we were reminiscing about some of the things I made. And he seems to remember more easily some of the things I made than I did. I think I kind of just blocked it out of memory. But it was some things that I made. I just kind of made these random things that I tried for the first time, like chicken liver mousse ice cream. Like who makes chicken liver mousse ice cream in the middle of a challenge where you're like, hey, I think that this might just be such a great idea to do right now. So I feel like I kind of I cook as though. I'm not scared to lose, you know, like just kind of make something crazy and just go for it. But, Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, it's hopefully it pays off. Yeah, I mean, and, and then that last challenge, I mean, you had to go up against Bobby Flay, Morimoto, and Michael Simon. Obviously, not an easy feat. So how do you, like, maintain that confidence and focus when you are in a situation like that? Yeah, I remember, I mean, I can bring myself back to the feeling I was having before cooking against Morimoto because I decided to put them each with the what they were best at. So going, putting yourself into a fish challenge with Morimoto is like really not the greatest idea in the world, but I was like putting cheese against Morimoto. That just seems weird. So I figured if I was going to go down, I was going to do it, like giving them the best ingredients. But yeah, Morimoto walks into the kitchen and it's like, you know, I was like freaking out a little bit. I'd met him before, but just going head to head in that battle and knowing that this is what I needed to sort of overcome. Why? I mean, why did you play it that way, though? Because, you know, I mean, peppers and Bobby, tilefish and Morimoto, cheese and Michael Simon. Is it just like that competitive feeling of wanting to, you know, beat them at something that they are good at? Yeah, you might as well. You know, if you're going to if you're not going to win, then it's like you didn't because you gave them their best ingredients. But then overcoming it while giving them their best ingredients just feels even better. And then after receiving the Iron Chef title, you actually went on to compete as one of the five chefs on Iron Chef Showdown, where I was lucky enough to be the floor reporter on. And obviously, as we've covered, you were you were known for taking a lot of risks on both shows. You mentioned the 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 chicken liver mousse ice cream. I got to try a chorizo ice cream, if I remember correctly, during that battle. So have you always been a risk taker like that? Yeah, I mean, it kind of became my bit, I feel like, on Iron Chef to always make an ice cream. The ribeye ice cream was like my favorite. I actually served it at the restaurant for a little while, but beef is so expensive. But (laughs) ribeye into ice cream is delicious. It was, and we did a, we even did a bonito ice cream for like the tuna challenge. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, when I was on Iron Chef, as an Iron Chef, I would think to myself when we're like talking about what are we going to make? They're like, is this Iron Chefy enough? That's how I think about things. And I still use that term. <laughs> it means something that's, you have to like push the envelope a little bit. You have to do something a little bit out there. Iron Chefs don't just make chicken and dumplings. I can't think of something that's simple. There's nothing simple about cooking, whatever. There can be or isn't. <laughs> but you have to do something a little bit unique, I think, to really be an Iron Chef and just make it kind of something that maybe the challenger is not ready to take that risk. And that kind of helps you overcome. Did you take that same approach on Tournament of Champions? Yeah, I mean, Tournament of Champions, it's so crazy going back into 
battles, I guess, or <laughs> cooking with other chefs after being out of that for so long. I've been so focused on my restaurants that going back into the kitchen, I was like, ooh, there's these butterflies again of that same feeling of when I was in Gauntlet, right on, on Top Chef or on Iron Chef. I mean, every Iron Chef battle afterwards, I would duck down under the table and like almost cry for a few minutes because it was so hard. <laughs> that same feeling and the same feeling of excitement. And I think with Tournament of Champions, the crazy thing is that there's a couple of chefs that I met for the first time there, but for the most part, all friends. We're all friends, but yet we're there to like duke it out in battle. So it's this crazy thing where you have huge respect and for all of your friends around you. And you maybe you think you know their food, but once you get into cooking challenges, people's food like comes out a little bit differently and everybody just it's wowing to watch anybody's cooks because it's amazing what people can do in 30 minutes. Which has been the, I guess, the toughest challenge on TV so far, as far as the different shows, because you have competed on so many different arenas. Wow. I mean, all of them, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing easy about it. And I hope, I think that that's portrayed when people watch it on TV, but it's really hard to know what I think people at home are thinking when they're watching us battle. Like, do they think, oh, these people cook every day and they make it look so simple. And I think sometimes if you watch certain chefs and I can think of certain moments where I was doing something where I was like, oh, I think I just looked pretty badass. I made that look easy, but it wasn't. <laughs> so I think it's just, you're cooking at like top speed. You're having to come up with ideas in literally seconds of what you're going to make based on something that someone just throws at you. And, you know, in Tournament of Champions, you've got Guy Fieri, who's like, who knows what's going up in his brain? And he's throwing crazy <laughs> stuff your way. And or the randomizer gets to pick it all. So you never know what's going to happen in like literally seconds to figure it out. And that's the that's what makes it so challenging. Had you met Guy before Tournament of Champions? Yeah, over the years, I think just being at different food festivals and we're kind of have always been in the same circle. But definitely filming this show. I think all of us, some of chefs known him better from doing the show for a number of years, but he's such a welcoming person and befriends everybody. He's very supportive of the industry and supportive of all the chefs. And he has us over to his house to, you know, just hang out and get to know him. And I think make it all more comfortable and super fun. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just, I knew him from afar and now I know him much more close and an amazing person. And as you've mentioned, there were some familiar faces on the season. We actually talked to Chef Shota last week, and he was very thankful of you kind of, you know, taking him under your wing and making him feel a little bit more comfortable. But was there any anybody there that intimidated you? Oh, I mean, everyone in different ways. You know, Tiffany, who had just won last year, and Monique is always intimidating because she's, I mean, she's just amazing in the kitchen. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think there's anybody that wasn't intimidating. It's sort of <laughs> anyone's game. You put 32 amazing chefs into one arena or one kitchen, and it's like anybody who's having a good day that day can win that battle. How, how much do you engage in trash talk, or do you not? <laughs> I'm not good at trash talk. I think, I don't know, Shoda and I did, just before filming Tournament Champions, we did Grudge Match, which uh -huh. was super fun to do because I think it got my feet wet a little bit of cooking again in the challenge setting. Supposedly, Shota had a grudge against me for beating him on Iron Chef Gauntlet. But neither <laughs> one of us can even, I mean, you talk to him, neither one of us can even make an evil face for more than 10 seconds. And so we just kept laughing at each other. They're like, wow, guys, this grudge seems really serious. So yeah, I'm not good at trash talk. I just start giggling. But once you get into battle, it's like kind of taken seriously. But I have to like laugh my way through it too, because cooking, you know, I do it because it's fun. Yeah. I mean, speaking of being in that competition and, and things being thrown at you, let's talk about the randomizer. How does your brain work when you see, you know, like the little wheels kind of starting to slow down in each category? I mean, I'm having post-traumatic stress by you just <laughs> us just talking about the randomizer. I think for so many weeks after the competition, I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. It's it's nerve wracking, you know, and I think 
because there's no way to have any idea what the randomizer is going to do, the good thing is you can't prepare in whatsoever. You have no idea what's going to happen. So if you try to have like dish ideas in your head or something and the randomizer pulls up something that will in no way work with that, then you've just made it worse for yourself. So in, in that way, I'll say thank you, Randomizer, for making it so random that I can't even <laughs> possibly think of this ahead of time. But no thank you, Randomizer, for pulling up, you know, these random ingredients where I'm like, oh, I've never even touched that before. Or that's my least favorite ingredient. Or there's new things added like, oh, you have to spin this again or do that again or move that over to the left and pick this one. And you never really know what's going to happen. So yeah, I, genius idea on the networking guy's minds for coming up with that being part of this competition. I think it's that among so many other things that make it one of the most, I mean, if not the most like fun competition to watch and to engage with and to be part of because it's just, it's crazy. It, it is super crazy. And, and like you said, there's so many components. You've got the randomizer, you've got blind judging, you know, it's all about kind of leveling that playing field and seeing really who can, you know, cook the best food under that pressure without giving away any spoilers. Can yeah. we expect any upsets this season? Oh, for sure. I think that's what the show's all about, you know? And like I said, it's kind of, I'm trying to like think back through all of the battles that I got to watch. I think it's really anyone's game. And it's it, what Guy said to us before going to it, for those of us who had never done it before, he's like, there's no losers here. You know, it's like getting to be one of the 32 chefs that's there makes you already, we're all very successful in our world and like we're all great competitors but that randomizer puts something up there and you never know and then there's a blind judging and i'll say sitting in a trailer with a tv on watching the judges taste your food and you can't <laughs> communicate back it's like it's just the worst <laughs> the worst part of it the most stressful part of it because you're like I'm like, hey, hey, you, I know you. Hey, hey, friend. Oh, you can't see me. Oh, you're tasting my food. Oh, you don't like it. Oh, you did like it. Oh, I can't tell. What's going on? Um, it's, it's so hard to watch that part. But again, another genius component in the show is that because the chef community is so tight, like we all know those chefs. We hang out with them at parties at South Beach. Like we're all friends. So with making it blind, it helps keep it just nice and even keeled. Would you do anything differently looking back? No, you know, I'm like already looking forward to next season. I think it was definitely one of the most fun experiences I've ever had. I think between just being in like the kitchen and running around and just getting to know a new kitchen and just be getting that sort of that nervous feeling and just getting excited and just kind of seeing what I can like pull out of myself between that. And then also we all stayed at a hotel together. And it's like chef camp. <laughs> um, that was so fun. We were there for a couple of weeks and, you know, you're we're hanging out at the hotel during the first week. There's a lot of like promotional stuff filmed and like we're all like a little bit less stressed out. Like 10 of us went to a movie together. When you to a movie with like 10 That's adults, so fun. <laughs> we all went out to dinner like we just kind of hung around the hotel, went in the hot tub. Like, when do you get to do that? It was almost like a weird set of vacation. And I told my restaurants, I'm like, I'm very this is very serious. So I cannot talk to you right now. Um, so I, it was almost like I was on vacation. And then they see pictures of me like hanging out with my friends at the movies. And they're like, oh, this looks really hard, Stephanie. I'm like, it is. It is. I promise. I just give me some time. But yeah, I over the last few months between that and some other stuff I've started doing with the network, I was texting Joe Sasto a couple of days ago. And I said, you know what I'm so thrilled about is just getting to spend more time with you and all of our chef friends now it's sort of it makes me feel like I have more of that community sometimes you feel you're in your restaurants and of course I love my teams and people in my normal life I guess but your chef friends from the show are you have a connection that is so different and it's so great to spend time together and get to just talk and hang out all right big question what what movie did you guys go to <laughs> we went to oh my gosh what is that movie called oh the menu so oh, it's hilarious nice. <laughs> what did you say like 
Well, it's so there's 10 of us at the menu. The only other three people in the theater are these three locals who, when they saw us all stand up at the end, they're like, oh, my gosh, we've been sitting behind you guys this whole time. Like, how That's funny hilarious. is that? And then the next right night, we went to a very high-end restaurant in Sonoma that looks like the menu when you walk in. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we're here. But it's funny. I mean, I thought we thought we were going to a horror film. And yeah. like Brit, who's from the show, like, she's like, I love horror films. I was like, we're going to a horror movie. And then it starts going. And I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. And it's making fun of so many of the things that I also make poke fun at in super high-end dining so i thought it was hilarious yeah i i, I agree I, I thought of it more as like a dark comedy than than really a horror film oh, um, for sure <laughs> you you kind of mentioned next year when you were talking about tournament of champions so safe to say we can see you back oh definitely you know and i think this was doing tournament of champions was sort of my step back into doing more tv in general like i said i love it so much and I had taken a little hiatus to make a child and open more restaurants. <laughs> so now that the restaurants, I always think I'm, I'm like, there's so many of them. I can't be at all of them at the same time. So if I'm away and I trust everybody, everybody's running them really well. So I have more time to go and do the things that I love, which is television. So hopefully I'll just see more and more things from me on Food Network, too. All right. Well, we are definitely looking forward to seeing more of you on the network as well. And this has been so great catching up and chatting. We are going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round and then we have one final oh. question for you all right well speaking of your son ernie what is your favorite way to spend time with him my favorite way to spend time with Ernie art projects i like bust out my glue gun a lot love it <laughs> <Do lots of laughs> all right kitchen tool you cannot live without oh i'm so simple but probably my microplane okay i like that for my cheese uh, I put lots of cheese for your cheese <laughs> what tv show are you watching right now last night i just started watching you Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so you're not on the new season or? No, I was still start. I just started. So I got to catch up. Very beginning. Okay. Yeah. I Uh just actually started the brand new season last night. So we'll we'll debrief after you've gotten caught up. (laughs) What is your astrological sign and do you relate to it? I'm a Scorpio and I never, I don't think about that much, but when people ask me my sign and they're like, oh yes, this makes sense. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? (laughs) You're like, is that a compliment or? It's a little bit of both. (laughs) Favorite things to do in Chicago? Oh gosh. I mean, when anybody comes to visit, the architectural boat tour is awesome. I've always heard that that's like the best thing. (laughs) So great. It sounds so like kind of corny to say that, but there's even one you can drink beer on, which that's fun. But you get to see the whole city and learn about the architecture while sipping on a beer and go on a beautiful day, of course, but it's awesome. All right. I know. It's on my list. I feel like everybody I know from Chicago has said the exact same thing. So everybody, next time you go to Chicago, sign up for that. All right. Your go-to snack. Oh, gosh. I mean, I eat a lot of Cheez-Its. I really do. <laughs> I love Cheez-Its. They're so good. <laughs> They're so They're good. So, yeah. They're the best. All right. Pantry staples you always have on hand. Fish sauce. <laughs> it's become more apparent <laughs> over time. Fish sauce. There's Thai seasoning, which is sort of a Thai version of like a soy sauce. And soy sauce. I guess I just have everything that just adds a ton of flavor. And handashi, which me and Shota have to like fight over if there's only one handashi in the <laughs> What is handashi? In the room. Handashi, it's a little powder that you can make into dashi broth. But oh, we grind okay. it up and use it as a seasoning and we add it into spice mixes. Oh, it's yum. got a little friend MSG inside of it, which makes it delicious. Oh, and speaking of that, then QP mayonnaise. I mean. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Advice for an aspiring entrepreneur. Ooh. I guess when I think about it, it's just take risks. I don't know. And maybe some people, they like to assess risk, risk, 
I don't assess anything. I just kind of go for it and see what happens. <laughs> I think that sounds like you do that in everything, it's as we've true. just discovered yes. throughout this interview. Yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, final question. And this is not rapid fire, so you can take as long as you want on it. And that is, what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want to hear your breakfast, your lunch, dinner, dessert. You can travel, time travel, eat these meals with whoever you want. There's no rules. You can just gallivant around the world for your your favorite foods? Oh my gosh. Well, this is great. I mean, I would say for breakfast, I would want to go back to Chengdu. When we were in China, it's in the Sichuan province. There's a little stall next to our hotel that just had these amazing pork dumplings with just this Sichuan spice sort of simple sauce on it. And that's what we have for breakfast. I don't understand. I mean, I, I like eggs and I like pancakes and things like that, but I'd much rather have dumplings for breakfast and noodles for breakfast. Like, why do we have to have breakfast foods and dinner foods? But I was there with a bunch of people from my team. I, I would do that all again. I love traveling to other countries with chefs for my team. I'm actually trying to put together a group trip to possibly Tokyo with all of my CDCs, Chef de Cuisines, so that we can just go and wow. eat together and talk about food together and just experience it. It's so fun traveling with people that love food as much as as the next person. Lunch? <laughs> well, I mean, I was talking about how I would want to go, you know, just sit at like this giant table in Europe with all of my family and friends and whatnot. I would love to do that. And I would love to. My mom actually passed away. Um, gosh, I guess it's almost been it's been about eight years, but she was a, she's why I cook. She was an amazing cook. And I was cooking with her all growing up. Our mandarin pancakes and mushu that we have at Duck Duck Goat are actually like my mom's mandarin pancake recipe. And she just cooks things from all over the world. Oh and that's gosh. why I love things from all over. But being able to go with her and my, my grandfather, who I had never got to meet and just sort of like, I would love it to be my relatives that I didn't get to really pick their brains about what it was like, you know, back when they're kids and just kind of learn more about their lives. But also they, my family loves food, like going out to eat with anybody on my mom's side of the family is like, they'll order the entire menu and they just love everything. So, and they love to drink wine. Oh yes, they do. So we would just, it would be amazing. <laughs> we're sitting in like Italy at some big table and we're just ordering all this food or anywhere, just a huge table with all the food that we could possibly have in wine. And we'd probably end up staying there until midnight, even if we started at lunch. <laughs> and then dinner, Gosh, I mean, one of my favorite things to do for dinner, and this is so simple, is going out to sushi with Ernie. He likes sushi. He doesn't, well, he doesn't eat raw fish, okay. so. <laughs> but he loves, he's just a, a rice and soy sauce. He was in my stomach when we opened Duck Duck Goat. So I say that the reason all he wants to eat is rice and soy sauce is because that's all he ate inside of me. But he sense. has gotten to a point where he'll have rice inside of seaweed and like the little sesame seeds. And I can get him to try salmon roe, which is awesome because it's so salty. He loves salty Ooh. things. Um, but it's just our date night and I love it. It's sort of, I don't, I work so much and I travel so much that my time with Ernie is so important to me and it's so precious to me. Mm -hmm. And I want him to, I like taking him out to dinner because he just gets used to that being things. Going out to eat is my favorite thing to do. So he gets that. He, the other day I got a salad at, we found this little sushi place called Wa that's just like, it's in our neighborhood and we go in now and they're like, oh, you guys are here. Do you want, they look at Ernie and they're like, do you want the little apple juice and your special rolls? And he just gets excited. And, but I got a salad the other day and he's like, mommy, that is so beautiful. How did they do that? And he loves like looking at plating of food. And he, when he comes to girl on the goat with his dad, sometimes he'll 
the other night it was like ex-husband Gary and Ernie and his brother came in and Ernie's like making them snacks on Lanon. He was like putting sauce and like oh. building up these things and making it garnished and then handing it out to them, oh which was goodness. so cute. I just love him interacting with food. I don't want him to be a chef because it's too crazy, but <laughs> if he wants to, that's fine. But I like that he's starting to interact with food more and it's so cute when he loves it's like, it's so beautiful. I'm like, oh, I love when you say that word. It's about food. It's awesome. That's so sweet. Are you having dessert or are you not a dessert person? Oh, we... Yeah, we always have dessert. It's funny. When I was growing up, if I remember once my friend Sue came over and she took my dad's last apple pie that was in the cupboard and he, I have never seen someone get so upset. And I'm kind of that way about dessert too. So is Ernie. It's kind of crazy. I mean, dessert, I'd honestly probably just be, that's when I want to be on my couch because I want to be in my stretchy pajama pants. And like, we don't even, the ice cream doesn't always make it into a bowl. Of course I mean, what's not. the point Why? of wasting getting a bowl dirty? And I, and I don't understand those tiny little pints. What is that all about? So we just go. Just grab like a half gallon of ice cream and Ernie and I just sit there with two spoons and just eat ice cream is like it should just be part of every day I think it just makes everybody happy oh my gosh I love that that sounds like an epic food day to be honest I love that you incorporated all of the important people in your life as well as your love for food so thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with us and best of luck we're looking forward to seeing you in action on Tournament of Champions thanks Jamie good chatting with you You can catch Stephanie's battle on TOC Sunday, March 5th at 8, 7 central on Food Network and streaming on Discovery Plus. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Foodies.